this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace recently launched the latest version of their platform, Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and an incredible feature called Cover Pages. Try the new Squarespace with a free trial at squarespace.com and enter offer code RIOT at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 128. We're recording on Thursday, October 15th. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. I'm here with Jeff O'Neill, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Yeah, here we are. We're back again. We are uh, back Two together. shows in a row. Woo woo. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We got something of a streak. Yeah, it's uh, it's the the big news season for books is happening now. Like we got the with the, the Nobel mm-hmm. Prize, which I don't. Did we talk about it last week's show? Did it fall between last it week's show? It fell between. Or? It fell between. We have not talked yeah. about Nobel. Uh, we may. Sh- boy, and I should have had her the tab open to the woman's name because there is no way I am going to uh, to be able to pronounce it correctly without help. But we can drop a link in the show notes there. We just got the uh, National Book Award shortlist. The Man Booker Prize was announced this week. A lot of big new books coming out. Like, this mm-hmm. is the, this is it. This is the, the this prime, is the is prime the season. So, um, speaking of prime season, coming up in just about three weeks. weeks now, right? Crazy. Uh, book Riot Live, November 7th and 8th. Here in here, no, not here. No, not I'm for in you Portland, anymore, Oregon, Mister. And you're in Richmond, there. In, in in New York City, uh, the 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 Big Apple two day readers convention that we're hosting. Uh, we're going to be there. Our show is going to be there. We're going to have a, all of our podcasts are going to have live recording. We're going to have panels and games and talks, and we have reading lounges. I mean, the convention where there's lounges set up just so you can sit down and read for a little bit. That, that's that's what we're doing here. a special Facebook group just for Book Riot Live attendees where people are planning donut outings. That's right. So if you're already registered, you should get in the Facebook you group. You should. And because and, they're going to go down to Doe, I think, on Friday morning or Saturday One morning. Mornings. One of the mornings. I'm not sure. And uh, get some donuts. Uh, the other thing you might be interested in, there's now one-day passes available. So if you want to pick just what day, if you're local, don't want to travel, you, you're, you know, you don't have the whole weekend to give, but you want to come and sample uh, our offerings of Book Riot Live, you can get the day pass for either Saturday or Sunday. Uh, now that I say that, I don't know how much they are. Are they what? $89? They're $89. $89. There is detailed scheduling information available at bookriotlive.com. So you can see what's happening on the different days. Pick your day that you want to come. Know what's happening. We're having two special cocktail parties in That's the right. book room at the Strand, which are going to be awesome. Um, if you are for the two day tickets, you get $20 off using offer code wheelhouse. That's that, that's you know that's that's special for our show. You guys are special. What do you want me to say? We I love get twenty dollars off for a two day ticket. Go to bookwritelive.com. Check it out. We look forward to seeing you all there. If any of you our listeners are coming, start emailing us because we want to yeah, let us know. Tell us on Twitter. And the schedule is is live. You can see that. Also, you can start RSVPing. It's not ticketed, but just to get a sense of how many people are coming to each panel and things. Um, for chair purposes, basically. Um, but you can sign up for an RSVP for our live recording. We're going to do it's going to be a regular show, right? We're not doing mm-hmm. a special. We're just going to do that. Yeah, I mean, somehow we're going to read news the week of. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to make a show, but that's what we're going to do. And we'll try to figure out what to do with our eye hands, uh, sort of look in opposite directions. <laughs> meet space. It's just yeah, meet not, space is the worst. It's non optimal for podcasting. Uh, at it's least true. it'll be the winter and we probably won't be sweating. Yeah, well, we've got, we got you know, 126 episodes under a belt of just staring at our MacBook screens. It's it's not surprising that's it. a little weird when we come the other way. Okay, it's follow-up All central right. we here. We got so much follow-up this so week. So much follow-up. I, you know, I was most 
This is, uh, in the annals of follow-up, this is one of the ones I was most pleased to see. Yes, me too. Um, the Book Industry Charitable Foundation. Did someone email this to you? How did you find yes, out about this? our friend Josh Christie oh, good, emailed good, this good, to good. me and said, that thing already exists. Uh, last week when we talked about James Patterson offering uh, bookseller end-of-year bonuses that you can nominate your favorite bookseller for. So if you missed last week's show or you're new this week and you have a favorite bookseller and you want to nominate them to get a thousand bucks just for being awesome, mm -hmm. make your way to the show notes and do that. But we were talking about what might be the best use of money is an end of your bonus really the like best way to make an impact on booksellers lives we were kicking around like what about an emergency fund for medical expenses or something like that this thing exists it is called the book industry charitable foundation it's bincfoundation.org they provide financial assistance to booksellers they have since 1996 it's a 501c3 nonprofit that grew out of a wish um, of bookstore employees to establish a fund to help their colleagues. Um, so bookstore employees put money in and make this possible for disasters, domestic violence, funeral expenses, homelessness prevention. Uh, if someone in the bookseller's household loses their income, uh, you, they can apply to bank for uh, money to help balance that. If you have a serious medical expense, if your utilities are about to be shut off. So uh, that, that thing exists that we were hoping existed. Um, and I think that I had heard that maybe something like this was out there, but I didn't know what it was called or where to look. Um, and so shouts to Josh Christie for letting us know and shouts to the booksellers for making that possible. That's very cool. Yeah, very smart. Um, really interesting. Uh, maybe it would have, it would be, uh, it would be kosher or kosher is wrong. It would be cool of Patterson to, to slide a little of his uh, largesse yeah, this way. Yeah, right. Be very cool. Um, I'll just throw this, this guy named Chuck. He's a bookseller. I can't remember. I was looking around this page, and uh, Chuck from Village Books, which I guess is a small bookstore in Billingham, Washington, was going to do a cross-country 2,400-mile bike ride oh, to wow. support the book industry charitable – or, sorry, book industry – what's the name of it? The Bink – Charitable Foundation, mm -hmm. which acronym is B-I-N-C. Anyway, that doesn't make sense. So I'll figure that out later on my own time with a piece of paper and a compass. Um, but he was riding across the country, uh, you know, like a marathon type deal to raise money. Uh, he made it 1,480 miles, but was knocked off his bike by two dogs and broke some ribs and had to cut it short. But uh, there are people out there busting their hump quite literally to make this thing go. And, you know, I guess most industries have sort of a safety net organization i know teachers do in a lot of situations firemen mm -hmm. police department so i'm glad to starbucks see, has one yeah that there's people in, in in distress have somewhere to go uh they they gave 53 grants this year i bet um they could certainly use more help so if you're interested it's getting to be the time where people start thinking about donating money uh you know as, mm -hmm. as the holidays roll around this is this is an interesting one yeah it is um, i wonder where they get most of their money maybe from members or bookstores or, you know, that's something, if we didn't, we've been doing this for four years and we didn't know about it now, um, maybe we can help raise our profile for people who want to know that that exists. Okay. More good news. That's all good mm -hmm. news and follow-up today. It's really, good I follow was up. good follow-up. Everything's, everything's happy. Uh, we talked last week about Into the, no, was it last week? Oh, several weeks several ago. Several weeks ago. we were together when yeah, this yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't last week. Into the River, uh, which is a young adult novel, which was banned in New Zealand for its co controversial subject matter, is back on the country's bookstores. There was a uh, Ted Dawes award-winning coming-of-age novel, novel was banned in September. And it and, was the one that was actually banned where there were like legal consequences. Yeah, like literally you couldn't give it to your kid if you didn't mm -hmm. want to. Yeah, there were fines in jail time for selling it or distributing. Um, so it's been, it's been in, in a battle since it was published in 2013. So the last two and a half years, it's really gone back and forth. Um, the New Zealand Book Council, Publishers Association of New Zealand, unsurprisingly, were very upset about this. Um, and then... Family First, which is sort of on the other side, accused the board on Wednesday of succumbing to book industry peer pressure, despite the book's highly offenses and gratuitous language, adult themes, and graphic sensual, sexual content. Which, all that might be true, but not one of those things does it sound like needs to be banned. Like, let's right. say it is highly offensive and gratuitous language, adult themes, and graphic sensual content. Okay. Uh, I don't think that's why we ban things. I'm just, I'm and, just spitballing. And here. it can't be the first book of its kind. No, <laughs> I like the phrase "gratuitous language." Right. Like, so if you have too totally, many adverbs, do they ban really, your book? There's, there's not a value judgment implied in <laughs> gratuitous at all, Jeff. <laughs> it's just gratuitous language. 
Now, you could really omit some needless words here. Gertrude Stein would be so upset Is it like, you. you know, four uses of the F word would be fine, <laughs> but five, that's really gratuitous. It's over, like, where, where is the line? How does that? You and I both <laughs> saw The Martian over the we last did. week. We did, Did yeah. you notice there, they, I think they, they had a count on the F words uh-huh. they were trying to use because they had a couple of mutes and a couple of sensors and like, but they dropped, did drop a couple of real ones. Like, mm-hmm. I think they were really like... They were trying to say, how many can we of these can we have and still be PG-13? Because it was PG-13, right? right? Yeah, 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 it was. And there must be a number there. Because yeah. there were a couple scenes, like there's a scene when he's in the rover and he's going to say the F word a couple of times, but there's no sound yes. in that scene. You just see him like from a dash cam, basically. And I had the exact same thought. I was like, wait, there's so many. And there is excellent deployment of the F-bomb in yes. The Martian. <laughs> like, yes. And the voice that Andy Weir wrote for that character is just so great. Well, I was glad that it was maintained. But, and Kristen but, Wiig's uh, media specialist, she's got a yeah, potty mouth. She's, she she's, does. She can, let her, she can let it rip too and was really tamed in that regard anyway mm-hmm. so they they were careful with their gratuitous language but um anyway good job people of new zealand job, advocating new zealand. for getting this uh back um this was the first time in the 22 history 22 year history of the current law which made such bannings legal that it's actually been enacted um and you know what and you know what they did they sold a bunch of copies of this book right now mm-hmm. that's exactly what family first did uh it's called the streisand effect one of my favorite internet effects i have to say where by trying to cover something up, you just give it more and more exposure than you could possibly have ever imagined. Uh, I guess this is good news. I think it's good news. I still haven't gotten to Girl in the Spider's Web. Were you going to read it? I thought you said you thought we're thinking about it or no. Yeah, I was thinking about it. Um, I sort of fell off the girl in the girl with the dragon tattoo train like i read all three of them but i liked them each one less than the first yeah i was kind of the same um so i lost some momentum in the interim years but i'll probably pick it up at some point yeah i i've had this for a rainy northwest winter here uh, Mm. uh, which basically runs from october through july um (laughs) so i'll be picking this up but apparently the girl in the spider's web sold well enough uh to, to please the rights holders and the publishers because uh, David Lagerkrantz is going to be writing two more books in the series featuring Elizabeth Salander um, coming out in 2017 and 2019, most likely. Um, so uh, unsurprisingly, not dead. Mm-hmm. Not dead. Yeah, and here's how well they have sold The Girl in the Spider's Web, which is the first sequel that he's written, has sold more than 80 million copies globally and was just released in wait, August. Wait a minute. Are you serious? Did yeah, dude. That? This Yahoo News piece that we're that we're looking at, it's the last paragraph. The Girl in the Spider's Web, Lagerkrantz's first sequel to Larson's oh, book. I oh, think, sorry, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. I misread the, that. Yeah, I okay. misread it. Larson's books have sold more than 80 million copies globally. <laughs> I was like, wait. Yeah, I was going to say, so it sold, it sold basically 40 times the number of copies <laughs> of Ghost at a Watchman. I was like, that's that like, can't be. We would have heard about that. My brain now. was making Scooby-Doo no, no, noise no, about no. that number. No, no, no. It is I, confusing. The, the, phrase, the phraseology yeah, is a little... The phrase, uh, it's bad phraseology. But <laughs> I anecdotally, I, you know, always look at what people are reading in airports. And I have been in a hell of a lot of airports lately. And I saw more copies of The Girl in the Spider's Web in people's hands than mm. uh, Go Set a Watchman by far. Um, and I've been traveling through the summer and the fall, but there were probably three Girl in the Spider's Webs for every one uh, Harper That's Lee. Interesting. Yeah, that you I know what? We in. haven't heard a, a Gray or Go Set a Watchman sales update in a while. We have not. I'm not sure those have tails on them. They're 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 bobcats, no tails. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but the the bet stands, and somebody is buying somebody else donuts at the end of the year. Yeah, oh, the bet stands. The bet stands. <laughs> I'm just it's uh, it's fizzling here at the end. <laughs> by if if library holds are any indication, I had a library hold on girl, a girl in the spiders in Brooklyn, and now I have one at my uh, beautiful new uh, Multnomah County Public Library branch. Shout out to the Multnomah County Public Librarians out there. Um, and it's I've got to I've got to wait. So it's it's going to be a little bit. You know what you don't have to wait for? Uh, a, a sponsor? Yeah. Yeah, I wonder. Hey! <laughs> this week's show is sponsored by We'll Never Be Apart by Emiko Jean. This is a young adult novel about fire, murder, and revenge. Those are all that 17-year-old Alice Monroe, M-O-N-R-O-E, not Alice Monroe, the Canadian short story writer, uh, 17-year-old Alice Monroe thinks about fire, murder, and revenge. Um, she's been commenti- committed to a mental ward at Savage Isle, which just, I mean, that sounds spooky and terrible. Um, Alice is haunted by memories of the fire that killed her boyfriend, Jason. Ablaze, her twin sister, Selly, set. 
But then Chase, a mysterious charismatic patient, agrees to help her seek vengeance, and Alice starts to rethink everything. She starts writing out the story of her troubled past in a journal and confronting hidden truths, and then she starts to wonder, is the one person she trusts only telling her half the story? Nothing is as it seems in this edge-of-your-seat psychological thriller, and this is a debut um, from Amico Jean. So uh, Liberty and I over on all the books have been talking about this being a year of huge debut novels. This looks to be another one. Has an excellent, creepy looking cover. Mm. Talk about something good to read on a cold winter weekend. Uh, we'll Never Be Apart by Amiko Jean. You got a 17-year-old in a mental ward after her boyfriend is dead and her potential new boyfriend might not be being totally straight with her. So we'll have a link to We'll Never Be Apart in the show notes and you can find it wherever books are sold. Thanks to uh, Houghton Mifflin Harcourt for sending that our way this week. Um, the prestigious, probably the most prestigious award in the world for a single literary title, you know, it's not the Nobel Prize, which is yeah. for a body of work was announced this week, the Man Booker Prize. And the crown jewel for that, rightly or wrongly, is the Fiction Prize, um, was won by Marlon James, whose book, uh, A Brief History of Seven Killings, uh, was the one winner of the 50,000-pound prize uh, in London on Tuesday night. Great story. I've, been, I've had this book on my, on my shelf for a while. It's very long, which is why I haven't gotten to it mm-hmm. yet. It is about, Same here. Uh, it's about uh, the attempted assassination of Bob Marley. Um, and a lot more. That's that's the nut and, of it. And uh, James's speech when he accepted the award was uh, largely about reggae and Bob Marley and the roots of reggae inspiring his book. Uh, James is himself Jamaican. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a, the attempted murder of Bob Marley in 1976. Um, <laughs> the chair of the judges, Michael Wood, in which is a very weird thing to say, oh, admitted no. that his mother would not have got beyond the first few pages of the book because of the swearing <laughs> which apparently uh he would if you're the judges uh, the moms of judges are su- super influential here <laughs> that is interesting um uh, yeah super it's very long i saw a lot of people when it came out there are a lot of people that are taking up the shield they love this book mm-hmm. um james seems like a super interesting guy uh He's the first Jamaican writer to win the Man Booker. Yeah, and his interesting for all of you writers out there plugging away, his first novel, John Crow's Devil, was rejected 78 times by publisher before it was eventually published in 2005. And um, this was his next book after that. So I don't know what to say about that except we hear a lot of these kinds of stories mm-hmm. about, you know, was it Vonnegut? Vonnegut or Bradbury was famously rejected like a billion well, thousand s- times for Slaughterhouse Five or Fahrenheit so 451 or something. JK Rowling. Yeah, right. Yeah. No. Yeah. So this stuff isn't inevitable. And uh, the first, I guess, 50 rejections shouldn't tell you that much. Um, you know what he didn't? No, I'm not going to make that joke. I thought I did. I was going to make a, he, he maybe should have tried changing his name to an Asian woman, but oh. that's, that's, that's a low blow. Um, but he plucked away, stuck with his own name and wrote something ambitious and something he cared about. And that's what happens. I, I'm thrilled by this. I think it's yeah, a super interesting book to win. Um, super interesting guy, a great story, very good story. And if any of you have out there read it and, uh, have uh, have advice for me about how to approach it or what what if you got anything that will just get me over the hump of picking it up because I have it in paper and boy it's a it's a monster in paper maybe I should get an ebook it doesn't feel quite so uh, uh, quite so intimidating but that's your that's your big winner of the year mm-hmm. and I hope it sells a bunch of copies. Me too. Me too. I have heard actually the thing that got me on the hook about this is a friend of mine is reading it right now and said, uh, told me that they he that James does the rotating carousel of multiple narrators, multiple mm. perspectives, and that's the thing I cannot resist. So my friend Jack was saying like, yeah, I read the first five chapters and each one has a different perspective in it, and I just loved that. And I was like, okay, I'm going to pick that up really soon because I like you, I've had the book on my shelf, I think since before it was published. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I meant to get to it and everyone that I know who's read it loved it. And it just, you know, didn't happen for all the reasons that books don't happen for readers at some times. But I'm going to I'm going to do it. That sold me. I, I can't resist a multiple narrator setup. Um, speaking of awards, the finalists, the short list for the National Book Awards was announced. Mm-hmm. Um, also a very interesting list. Some of the same uh, 
you know, there's a little bit of crossover in the Man Booker shortlist, uh, including Hanya Yanagihara's A Little Life. Uh, Lauren Gross, Fates and Furies made the shortlist. Um, Fortune Smiles, the collection of short stories from Adam Johnson, Karen Bender's Refund, uh, short story collection, and Angela Flournoy's The, Tur- Flournoy's, the Turner House, the fiction list. Uh, good list. You got such a, a couple of a couple of uh, non-white authors. You've got a bunch of women. Um, a very interesting list. I think. I think you'd have to consider. Uh, pro- if I had to, if I had to handicap them, and I, you know, I'm not uh, what's Lloyd's of London that handicaps Nobel Prize mm. and stuff like that. Um, I'd go a little life, fates, Turner House, and then I don't know anything about the Bender collection, so I'm gonna I'm gonna abstain. And then okay. shorts. Uh, these things tend not to award short story collections, so that I always uh, you always have to yeah. handicap them down. But that's my sense and of it. Here. Adam Johnson won a bunch of awards for the Orphan Master. Yeah, son. and killing the Pulitzer. So right. he's not his so, first go- rodeo here. Right, and uh, so I don't know if that makes him more or less likely to win. He's already gotten critical and award recognition, uh, so I don't know if that'll factor in. I think I would go. Fates and Furies, mm. then a little life. Mm. I really liked the Turner House. Yeah, me too. And then Fortune Smiles. Just from what I've heard about it, I haven't read that one, and I know nothing about the Karen Binder collection, which I'm going to have to rectify. Yeah, I love a short story collection. Yeah, all all five finalists are first timers to be finalists, so that's that's mm-hmm. interesting as well. Um, you know, I was thinking about that today. There had who came out with a book this year that's sort of like, I don't know. Like one of the, I guess Franzen. I guess that's the one, Franzen. Uh, well, would that be? That's for. With I don't know what the schedules are for these. Like, is it anything released in 2015? I think so, because there have been times that books have been finalists for the yeah. National Book Award announced before the book's publication right. date. Yes, I think yes, the yes. year that, um, like the Nicole, the last Nicole Krauss novel yeah. was maybe a finalist before it was published. So it, I think it's anything in the calendar year. So right. the Franzen book is absent. Um, City on Fire. I was just going to say City on Fire, dollar, which is a billion trillion dollars. Big debut is absent. Uh, what else? That there. This has been a just knockout year for books. Yeah, I mean, um, I was more, not more specific titles, but like right. established writers with books out this year. Um, I couldn't really well, think of one that, that got the, yeah. the snow job. Yeah, there was a new Margaret Atwood. Um, but she's not American. Oh, right. Canadians. Uh, okay, so that's the National Book Award. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good finalist. Oh, Let's... and maybe it's also worth mentioning Nimona, which is a graphic novel by Noel Stevenson, one of the creators of Lumberjanes, was nominated uh, in the children's and young adult category. And I think that Noel Stevenson is the youngest author. Oh, that's interesting. To be nominated I love Nimona. For... In fact, uh, Kyle, my brother Kai, who edits this show, I just gave it to him for his birthday. So he may have read it on the plane back from Portland. He could have read it already. Happy and, birthday, uh, Kyle. I, and I hope you two are a shark. Um, that's a Nimona joke. For those <laughs> there are so many good jokes. So many good in jokes in that. Uh, let's see. Okay. Well, and the ongoing uh, diversity, I would, I'm going to charitably call it a uh, conversation here. That is very generous. Yeah, isn't it? Um, and Meg Rozoff, who is an author. Um, uh, she's a big, young big, adult big author. time young adult author, said something um, that I think a lot of people kind of think maybe in the back of their minds, but don't say out loud. Um, about diversity in young adult and children's books, especially um, one of the argument or one of the cases made for diversity, both um, in terms of content and creator in art of all kinds, really, is that seeing yourself represented in art is affirming and good, that it does things for you that are beneficial. It makes you realize that you're not alone, that you're not some sort of circus freak, that you are not uh, bad. Um, just seeing someone that someone else has the same experience can be affirming and empowering, and and help you get through um, to the next place of, of 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 feeling good about yourself and where you are in the world, or at least a little bit better. Um, so that if you are, and the example is going to be here that she uses about a you know, queer black boy. If you're a queer black boy that if you read about in a book that you find in your library or someone gives you or in a bookstore about or by a queer black boy, 
that's going to say something about you that that helps you get through your existence. Because if you're a queer black boy, there's a lot of things out there, especially in the in the good old U.S. of A. that are going to tell you that you're not as good, um, that how you are is wrong, or at the very least, unnormal. Um, and but if you can see some representations of yourself, that maybe you will understand and feel better about who you are uh, and how you can be in the world. And Raza, if I'm going to read this verbatim, because I think it's important to put the words out there, um, not because this particular statement is so important, though it became the locus of a lot of debate, but I think it does capture something of the sort of anti-diversity uh, cause that, that's worth sort of knowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. They're not... They're, and, they're not oh, sorry. Did you want to say something? Oh, I was just say this is all sort of... Sp- the springboard was a book called Large Fears by uh-huh. Miles E. Johnson, um, which uh, Johnson crowdfunded and, you know, wrote to about his experience, inspired by his experiences as a queer black person and for boys who are growing up now as queer black people. Um, and then a, a writer named Edith Campbell posted a HuffPo piece about the book on her Facebook page and said, my daughter shared this with me earlier. I'm so glad um, my children support efforts to get more diverse books out there for our kids. And I'm really glad to know about this book. I would say there are so few books for queer queer black boys, but there are just too few books for all of our marginalized young people. So that's how the conversation began. Right. So this began. is on Facebook. And then right. um, Razov responded with this. Um, there are not too few books for marginalized young people. There are hundreds of them, thousands of them. You don't have to read about a queer black boy to read a book about a marginalized child. The children's book world is getting far too literal about what needs, in quotation marks, to be represented. You don't read Crime and Punishment to find out about Russian criminals or Alice in Wonderland to know about rabbits. Good literature expands mm. your mind. It doesn't have the quote-unquote job uh, of being a mirror. Um, so, I, well, you know, I think, I think before I say anything else or we say anything else about it, I think that is, in an, I think people, there's, there's a lot of people that are out there that think that way. Mm-hmm. That this and, is, you know, it, the sort of... Uh, the diversity as we talk about it in which, you know, I think that there should be more books for queer black children, queer Latina children, LBGTQ, disabled, Asian, uh, old people, you know, all, all the different permutations that exist in the world. Um, it'd be great if there were stories that people could see themselves reflected in. Um, I'm not sure what to say about this because it really makes me really frustrated, frankly, it's- and I don't really know what she's so concerned about. I think that's the thing well, that is, is so troubling is yeah, what, think, why is she, why is she, why is she like know, saying the, enough already? Don't, don't worry about this. I think there are a couple things going on here. The first is her facts are not facts. Right. Some of the statements that she makes here are factually untrue. There are not, a sufficient number of books for marginalized young people every year at the early part of the year, you and I on this show, look at the numbers that are released by um, one of the children's book centers or children's book council. I'll find the exact name uh, later, but we talk about how they collect numbers on all of the books that are published for children in a calendar year and how many of those are by and about people of color. And it's usually like 2%. Oh, I think you're right. I think she's counting like all books about marginalized kids, like like mm-hmm. sad white kids get counted as marginalized. Like that's what she's counting. Mm. I think. Like she's counting like maybe per- perks of being a wallflower and uh, an abundance of Catherine. Well, like so she's counting she all that. So fundamentally misunderstands marginalization, cultural yes, yeah, marginalization, right. and the the gradations yes. of that. But we are living in a world where like two percent of children's books last year were by or about people of color, and you need a whole lot of perks of being a wallflower if you're going to convince yourself that mm-hmm. marginalized experiences are adequately represented. So that's factually untrue. I think that Rossoff, as a young adult author, must be seeing the conversations about diversity and about the importance of representing diverse experiences in fiction for the reasons you talked about um, at the top of this segment about how it's important and how it can impact people to see ourselves represented in fiction and to know that our lives and our identities are real and are valid and that we're not alone. Also, the secondary effect of that is that people who aren't like us, mm-hmm. who read about our identities, learn empathy and learn that they are not the only The mere exposure effect. In the world. Yeah. Right. But there's that phenomenon that I cannot remember the name of where like if women talk for 25% of a meeting, people perceive that the women dominated the meeting. Right. And I think 
suspect that something like that is happening here, that, you know, more books that are about marginalized experiences makes people who have the dominant experience and who don't understand exactly how bad the diversity problem is in publishing think that now we have so many diverse stories. Now we have enough, which also, how is there ever enough? There's not like a magic number where we're going to be like, oh, there are enough diverse books out now. We can just go back to mostly publishing. Yeah, I, I, and I, I guess it also must be from the case that if you're an established young adult writer and you're white, as, as Razov, I think is, I have to say, I'm not entirely yes. sure, but I think so, that you are running up against the boundaries of your own abilities here because people are calling for something that you cannot do or provide, really, to be honest. Right. Like, this is not... And that I think there's maybe an implicit critique, either real or felt, I haven't really thought about that much, that your success is not ill-gotten, but um, I don't know. It's kind of like being the best short. It's like being the best shortstop well, in 1946 before black people were allowed to play baseball. Like there's an, sort of an implicit critique of the status quo when people are saying the status quo is flawed and not fair, mm-hmm. right? Well, and so that's that's real, I think. And yeah, I don't think. I, I don't think it's appropriate to respond in this way, but I, that's just sort of trying to account in some yeah. way for the it, I think it's also possible and likely that members of dominant groups, white people, and that includes you and me, yeah. um, can feel threatened by seeing members of non-dominant groups gain ground. Mm-hmm. And what does that like? Will, but will I still get to publish books? Will I still get to talk about things? Will people do I still get to be important if now people telling stories about queer black boys are important? They they see it as a zero sum game. And if writers who are writing about diverse issues are gaining ground than they perceive it as it it must mean that they are losing ground and that even if they are losing ground, they must also think that that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Rossoff, I think, just fundamentally really does not understand what she's talking about. Um, several people responded much more civilly than I think I would have been able to mm-hmm. in this Facebook thread. And then Rossoff dug herself in. Um, and this, the thread has been made public, so we can put a link to it in the show notes. And if you have a Facebook account and you're logged in, you'll be able to see it. Um, and someone says, I strongly disagree with you. It means something to read a book that in some way mirrors your experience. She goes on. Rossoff replies, read a newspaper, read a magazine, go see a movie. There are zillions of places kids can see mirrors. Books do not have a job. Books are to teach kids about the world, about being different or being brave. I really hate this idea that we need agendas in books. A great book has a philosophical, spiritual, intellectual agenda that speaks to many, many people, not just gay black boys. I'm sorry, but write a pamphlet about it. That's not what books are for. Well, because clearly books about gay black boys can't have deep philosophical thoughts in them. And could only be for gay black boys. Yeah, and then she she countermands that later by saying books have one one job and one job only, and that is to reflect the deepest thoughts of the writer. So which is it, to educate children or to reflect? She's spinning out of control a little bit. Um, And I don't think, frankly, I don't think this her particular details of her argument are important except to, to mention it as a way of talking about this larger phenomenon, um, and what is it, you know, what is it that we think um, seeing yourself represented does for people? Like, mm-hmm. I did a, my master's thesis was on W. Du Bois's literary criticism, and he has this really interesting passage when he's reviewing a children's book um, uh, about a black kid, and I think it came out in the 20s or 30s, and it's the first one he'd ever seen, and he has this wonderful passage, imagine uh, a black child walking down the street in Harlem and seeing themselves in the pages of the book. And then looking up from the book and seeing themselves in the world and in the book simultaneously. And he was sort of imagining what an affirming, you know, moment that would be for a kid. And and you can, by extension, think what it would have been for him as a kid, because he certainly never saw uh, himself represented as a young man in, you know, the 1870s or 80s or 90s. I can't remember when exactly how old he was at this point, um, you know, as a kid growing up uh, at the, around the turn of the century. To, to have a representation of yourself as a kid. So uh, this is a, this is an idea that's been around for a while, but finally is is getting some traction and that you're going to see pushback. And what is the nature, like, what is Razov saying? I mean, what is she saying that we're pushing for the wrong things, that if you push for diversity and character resistance, you can't also then have deep philosophical? Mm-hmm. Like, what is it that she's, 
I don't understand what she's trying. That a story that's about queer black boys must be a story with an agenda. Right. Agendas don't have any place in fiction. But her books are just books. Right. They're just books. They don't have an agenda except for truth and my... um, my and, spirit writing animal. I think you're right. This isn't. This is the turkey of the day. Like yeah. Rossoff is the latest writer to demonstrate a fundamental failure to understand what the conversation about diversity in literature is really about. Right. Um, and to recognize her own blind spots. Like I think the reason that we don't often see big writers make statements like this is kind of the same reason that we don't often hear you know, like well-known politicians use the N-word. Most people recognize right. that they have these, ra- like that if they have racist ideas, it's at least socially unacceptable to say them out loud. And Rossoff didn't even get far enough down the line to realize that if she believes these things, these are not things that you want to admit publicly to believing because you are clearly in the, like you're on the wrong side of history here mm-hmm. and you're on the wrong side of the conversation. Um, I, I think she's She's just the latest example of the and a representative of the kinds of arguments that people attempt to make about uh, not needing diversity, about, you know, their books that like like she's a white writer and she writes, she says about people of all races and all gender identities because she finds that to be interesting. And it seems that she thinks that should be sufficient, that a white writer telling these stories should be sufficient. Why do we need a book uh, that a queer black man wrote about a queer black boy? The white writers are already on. On it, guys. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same reason you want, don't want just the people in power to make the laws and the sentencing guidelines and, <laughs> immig- and you, know, you know immigration reform and, and mental health policy. Like, there's things that you just don't know and you and don't it's, experience. Um, it's possible for a white writer to write a black character and to do a hell of a lot of research and really try to understand the experience and the community. But that doesn't mean that we don't also need black writers telling black stories. They live the experience in the way that white people don't, and they understand it more deeply than than white people possibly ever could. Um, And to think that you as a white writer could get there, could get to a 100% understanding and representation of an experience that you cannot have uh, is pretty, that, I think that's pretty staggering. You know, it also, this, you know, it burbles up every now and again, and, and some of it I can understand the writers, it's a tough job and it's, you want to be protective of it. Like, you know, that the writer's only job is to express the, what the writer, 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 you know, sort of a writer-centric mm-hmm. view of books and reading. But just doesn't work that way. Like we all get to decide. We all get to have a say. And saying, I know what a job of a book is because I write books, I think really fundamentally misunderstands the complexity of the relationship between book mm-hmm. and reader and critic and uh, giver and buying and selling and the whole nasty mess uh, of of at least how um, books and reading are disseminated in our particular culture. That no one gets to say, put a stake in the ground and say, this is how it is. <laughs> That's just right, not how it is- works. I don't get to do it. Meg Rozov doesn't get to do (laughs) it. Uh, Andrew Wiley doesn't get to do it. Uh, Oprah doesn't get to do it. Like all, we all get our say, and have we have various platform sizes, but no one gets to say has one and one job. That's just not. That's just not acceptable. You know, that's just (laughs) it's just not can't be the way that it works. Um, Boy, in good news, and only this is. uh, It feels like something just from the wheelhouse. This feels like something I dreamed. Like I keep coming back to this. Like this happened. (laughs) I know it came across my Twitter feed, and I was like, "Wait, is that real?" Yeah. Um, So uh, when uh, President Obama was in Iowa uh, a couple weeks ago, or last month, it looks like it was uh, September Mm -hmm. fourteenth, and he just had a conversation with Marilyn Robinson. He just went to hang out with Marilyn for the day, and he's interviewing her. And it's so good. It's so good. It's uh, well, the link in the show notes. There's audio and there's a text uh, transcription. And he really does interview her. This yeah. isn't like a politician setting himself up to look good and get the writer to talk about him. He's like interested in what Marilyn Robinson thinks about things. Yeah, he's like asking her about her parents and how they saw the world. No, and it is. It. I. She, I've never seen anything like this from a it president. Is the best. Like. This is this is it. I don't think I'm ever going to get a better gift from literary culture. Yeah. Uh, there's another it's, part coming. I don't think I've seen. Um, I, yeah, I think it's next, next month. month. Um, so th- I think the frame story here is 
in in September or August, I don't remember exactly when it came out, Marilyn Robinson wrote an essay about fear and about guns and gun control. Yes. And it's a long, very thoughtful essay. Um, President Obama and Marilyn Robinson were already acquainted. And this essay got him, you know, thinking about her and about optimism or pessimism about where the country is going. And they talk about that. They talk about Robinson's uh, faith and how it factors into her essays. They talk about why she writes essays. They talk about like the sermons that she gives at her local church. It's so like, yeah. <laughs> I would make, can President Obama do this in his retirement? Can he please interview great writers? Uh, maybe he should take over <laughs> New York, uh, the New York Times by the book column. Maybe he'll take over reading lives. I've been, can you know, maybe, yeah, I can have a yeah. podcast for it. Let's give him a standing invitation. If he would like to take over your reading lives show, we're fine with that. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> he's thoughtful. There's a, they, they spar. I mean, not spar is wrong, but they disagree. And he like tries to tell her mm -hmm. not to be so, you know, <laughs> not, uh, so, you know, like keep up fight and, you know, everything's, mm -hmm. you know, there, there, things get better. And, uh, I don't know. It was fascinating. I it's was riveting so the audio. I, I read it and listened to the audio, which is super interesting. Um, you and Amanda and I were all like, so this is what we're doing today. It's like, should we sit down in a circle and hold hands and listen? I mean, I don't know. Probably. How do you make something your sacred text? Do we have to put this on a scroll? I don't under <laughs> papyrus. Like, where do you even get papyrus now? We put a pulpit in my front yard. Yeah. Everybody comes and sits around. So anyway, I highly recommend it. Um, also, if you've listened to the show, you you will you will may get a vicarious kick out of it just because you know how much we right, we admire our... Marilyn Robinson. And there we... is nothing. This is the wheelhousiest thing in the wheelhouse. Yeah, and by I, far. and it also looks like we can never be Robinson super fans one and one a. We we can't. It's right. our, the 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 spots taken. I will happily be. Marilyn Robinson super fan too. Yeah, behind President Obama, that's fine. I'm fine. He can have number one. Yeah, I want to say more about it, but I want to spoil it for people. Yeah, it's go so good. It. Go read it. Send us tweets about how great it is. Yeah. Uh, just this morning, like I almost had to cancel on you, Jeff, because just this morning, uh, Robinson's new collection of essays, which comes out next month, landed on my doorstep called "The Givenness of Things," and the titles of these essays make me really excited for. Uh, even more excited, in addition to the stuff that she talked about with President Obama, like the essays have titles like humanism, reformation, grace, servanthood, proofs, metaphysics, theology, limitation, realism. It's just a couple of them. So I think probably forever, I'm just going to reread those essays and wait for part two of her interview with President Obama. And then we'll just shut this down. We should make a Who else? Do we, well, he'd have to do. I mean, Tony, obviously, Tony. we would want um, you know, I wonder about like, um, you know, I think Sherman Alexi, he should take, you know, have a run at Sherman there. I think that's an obvious one. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Maybe one of the, you know, maybe one of the great, like Angela Davis, you know, black radical mm -hmm. feminists of some kind, maybe some academics, you know, uh, oh, David McCullough. I'd like to see Ooh, that. That's uh -huh. no. Is there a wheelhouse inside the wheelhouse? I don't know how the granular we can get with these. I things. would like, I don't know, President Obama and Nate Silver talking oh, about like numbers that. and yeah, strategy. Yeah, 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 I like that. Oh, 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 Daniel Kahneman. Oh, yes. Well, and Coates, I'd like to see that mm -hmm. one. Um, anyway, so yes, uh, Obama Talks, the podcast with public intellectuals and writers. Uh, we'll be your program. Coming directors. to iTunes very soon. We'll even leave a very nice review, President Obama. <laughs> we'll get on that. Um, okay. Let's see. Um, you know, I'm not sure. This I wasn't sure if this was a story or not. I'll, we'll mention it yeah, here briefly. It's kind of weird. Like, so um, there was a complaint in the UK uh, because uh, a, a, a woman complained that her daughter typed into Amazon into the search bar, basically free Kindle books for teenagers, and got a bunch of explicit stuff that came uh, stuff that came back um, with X-rated material in it. Um, she was 12 years old. So she's sort of fibbing when she says teenager. I'm, I'm not going to blame mm. her, but it's there, there's a lot of gradations that make this a weird story that I put in here just because I thought it was kind of an interesting. I don't really blame anyone here. I have to say I don't yeah, think there's a blame here. I think it's one of these open information problems that uh -huh. we're just going to have to figure out 
either that this is going to happen from time to time or some sort of safeguard. I'm not really sure. What did you think about this? You know, I'm I'm with you. I don't think there's necessarily wrongdoing here. Yeah. I mean, Amazon says the titles were temporarily miscategorized. The girl's mother complained that the company wasn't helping keep her daughter safe online. Like, it's nobody's job to keep anybody safe online except for like you as an individual have to take responsibility for your online safety and then as a parent you have to take responsibility for your kids online safety and that's not to say that like abuse should not be prevented of course abuse online should be prevented but when we're talking about access to explicit material or even just racy Mm -hmm. material like parental controls exist. And if you're worried about your kid finding naughty books on Amazon, then you maybe need to be present in the room when your kid is searching for books on Amazon. Yeah. It would be great. Unfettered Amazon... access to the web. I'm not, you know, right. I'm not sure that Amazon I mean, is the problem here. Yeah. It's, uh, I think this is a, like a silly thing to file a complaint for. If it were a lawsuit, I would say this is a silly lawsuit. It's, you know, metadata is a problem. Yes. And so like it it's not great that a search for Kindle books for teenagers turned up bad babysitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not great. Amazon said that some of the titles were temporarily miscategorized, which I can I you know, that sounds right. Sure. Yeah. It does. Uh metadata gets screwed up on all kinds of things. Well, and people act nefariously. Maybe someone right. who wrote one of these wanted to show up in more searches than Amazon sure. wanted the title to show up for. So and, you know, you know a, a spokesperson for Amazon said, you know, Amazon state that under 18s should not use the site without parental supervision. Uh, and, you know, like on the information superhighway, there's going to be a fender bender every now and again. I mean, I, I, and like, I, think I don't that's know like if, if the most explicit thing your 12 year old has come across on the Internet, if you're not standing watching them is a book called Bad Babysitter, then you're actually probably pretty. Yeah, lucky. I wonder, like, did the I've kid read it or did the mom just see it? I don't even know. <laughs> I've got nine nieces and nephews, many of whom are teenagers. And the stories about the things that they have accidentally, allegedly um, come across on the Internet are like, you know, a little more shocking mm-hmm. than a book called Bad Babysitter. So I'm also like. Uh, I, I'm a, I have a hard time caring about this. <laughs> yeah, I have I have a hard time caring too. Except that I can sort of see the you know it's the the thin end of the wedge of a the not a problem but the reality I guess is sure. the way I'm thinking about it. It's like this is you know this is the kind of thing is going to happen. If you're a parent out there, you should know this kind of thing can happen and just let you know that with so many Kindle books out there that get submitted every day. There's going to be a couple that get miscategorized either, either nefariously or innocently. You know, that just happens. And mm-hmm. there are what, tens of thousands of books added every month. I don't think Amazon has sort of a human sitting there, like making reading them all and making sure they're properly categorized. So you're right. dealing with largely, I'd say, an unfiltered or at least not pre-filtered. It gets sort of filtered after the fact, mm-hmm. which is not really right. filtering, I guess. Um, quote unquote curation procedure. Um, they Amazon tends to err on the side of permissiveness that they will they will pull things for sure and they have t- terms of service and things you can and can't do. But um, if you're letting your kid sort of uh, openly search for whatever search term, you know it's kind of like we know that if you just Google some random phrase, the chances of you getting something unsavory in the first page or two are probably pretty good because there are unsavory <laughs> things out there and the Welcome internet, to the internet and the internet just sort of reflects the world um, just more so. <laughs> than uh, we ever got it reflected back to us before. But yeah. I thought that was just worth uh, talking a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we better get to new books here. We're running we out of time. better. We got to do our last sponsor, Yeah, Scribd is, Scribd is back. Scribd, Scribd is, is the power reader's delight. Uh, it's a subscription book service that gives you access to more than a million books and audiobooks. Head over to Scribd.com slash bookwrite to get started with a free month. So basically what you get for a monthly fee, you can get three free free. A free 30-day trial <laughs> of unlimited reading along with one free audiobook right now if you go to scribd.com slash audio, uh, excuse me, Book Riot, including one audiobook and all the ebooks and comics you can read, hundreds of, cur- of collections curated by their team of editors, and as you read, you can get more and more recommendations. It's, but this browsing is fun. Because you click on the you click on a particular title, then you click on the genre, then the collection, and then the then you're off to the races and the thing that makes digital browsing so fun. But they've got big presses, small presses, front list, back list, fiction, nonfiction. Great way to explore. Great way to great way to sample. Um, for your eight eight dollars and ninety nine cents a month, you get all the digital books 
uh, ebooks and comics you can read plus one free audiobook download. Um, if you want more audiobooks, you can buy another credit. Simple and easy way to do that. Um, you know, basically, it's the reading season is upon us. And if you're looking for a way to sample some of the new books and backlist things you might have missed, um, a lot of things that have, have been out in paper, what back are coming out in paperback, those are like the prime ones that are getting added to, to Scribden um, at this time of year. So you can take a look, see what's available for you uh, to read and sample. You can, you know, read a couple pages. You can make lists of things you want to read, add things to your shelf, sort of an easy way to keep things um, going there. New things are added all the time. Thanks so much to Scribd for sponsoring the Book Riot podcast. Go check it out. Scribd, it's spelled S-C-R-I-B-D. And uh, why don't you tell me about some new books that we should be looking at? All right. I just got one pick this week. I am behind on my reading. Mm. And so my pick of the week is 13 Ways of Looking. It's fiction by Colin McCann. Uh, He wrote Dancer, probably, oh, and uh, Let the Great World Spin, which is also a popular one. I just read Dancer for the first time this summer, um, around the same time that the publisher released a gorgeous 10th anniversary edition of it. That's inspired by a real story about uh, a Russian ballet dancer who defects uh, to the U.S. And um, is defects the word I want it there? Defect? Yeah. Yeah. Or he I mean, it, right. I mean, it, he like, yeah, yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah. I don't exactly the, know the what's the political talking co- is hard. What's Jeff. the political context? <laughs> yeah, uh, he uh, doesn't want to be in a country where his people are being persecuted, and so he bails. Yeah, I'm not. I don't actually. You know, it's a good question because that you know it's immigration, but I don't know at what point defect. My sense is if you're flipping sides, like you got to go from right, the Soviets yeah, to the yes. capitalist yeah. Yankees. He's, yeah, he's perceived by the Soviets as a betrayer and like that he'll be yeah, okay, caught right, and captured right, if he right, returns. Right. Okay, anyway, so Dancer is really incredible. I fell just so hard in love with Colin McCann's writing. And so 13 Ways of Looking is a new collection that has a novella and three short stories. I am on the record in multiple places that I typically hate the novellas in collections of short stories. And this is the exception to the rule. Um, 13 Ways of Looking is the novella. It opens the book. Um, It is 13 vignettes about um, an older man. He's in his 80s. He's a retired judge from Mm. Brooklyn, uh, has moved to the Upper West Side. Uh, His wife has passed. He is ill. um, And we are in his head for every other chapter. And then the intervening chapters, uh, we're in his head as he's spending a morning reflecting on his life. Um, The intervening chapters are about the police trying to figure out who murdered him later in that same day. Hmm. Um, and it's wonderful. The language is just, his writing is just so like, there's this clever wordplay where you're like, oh, I see what you did there. So <laughs> clever, Colin McCann. And the, the characters are compelling. The story that grounds each of the, um, the background plot that grounds each of the stories uh, is unique and just really wonderful. I just loved it. Uh, just just loved it. I have nothing I'm like inarticulate about this book. It's so good. Um, and each story is so different from the others in the collection. There's not like a this is a collection about identity. Like you can find some unifying themes. I think the jacket copy says something about like each of the characters in each of these stories is at a transition point in their lives. But what those points are and how they approach them and how McCann takes all the pieces apart um, are different and just totally satisfying. I loved it. Whether you've read him or not this is a great book um, and a good companion for an afternoon it's only about 150 Mm. pages you will start and not be able to put it down it's so so good 13 ways of looking by colin mccann and i'm nearing the season where i'm going to be catching up on reading so yeah it's it's the fall time uh that's our show as always you can find show notes for this and every other episode of the book riot podcast at bookriot.com slash podcast uh, you can send us an email with comments, questions, feedback, information we don't have at podcastbookriot.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at the Jeff O'Neill, O-N-E-A-L. She's at Rebecca Shitsky, Rebecca, just like you'd think, and S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Go to bookriotlive.com to see the schedule. It's up. You can get one-day tickets if you want. You can get two-day tickets and $20 off those two-day tickets with offer code WHEELHOUSE. That's one word, WHEELHOUSE. You can uh, let's. See, I guess that's you'll see us there. I, that's what's we'll coming. We're going to be there. It's coming up hotter. It's it's coming up fast on the horizon. So we're looking forward to it. Rebecca, have a good weekend. We'll talk to you later, huh? You too. See you, Jeff. Bye.